Our Father and our God, we want to thank you so much for this wonderful privilege and opportunity to come together as your people. This gathering is about your name. Uh, we thank you for this privilege and for the liberty that we have in this nation to come together to study your word, to fellowship with one another, and to grow in grace. The Bible says that the entrance of your word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple. And so we ask you this morning that you will bring light into our souls and bring understanding to our minds. That we know our Savior better today and that we will be able to serve him better as each day rolls by. We pray that you will give us minds to concentrate this morning or this afternoon. Uh, we've come with many distractions today, but we pray that you will get our minds focused on our Savior, Jesus Christ, and on your word. And please encourage us, help us to leave this place knowing that we're anchored in your grace and for your work in this city. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Once again, I would like to thank my dear friends, uh, Ephraim and Rob, for asking me, and so you all for asking me to come here this morning. Uh, it's always a privilege. I love it coming. This is home for me, really. <laughs> it's home. And uh, when Rob sent me an email and asked me to come, I said, well, where, where else can I be on a Sunday morning if I'm not here? <laughs> So it's good to be here this morning. I've been given a topic which is uh, sanctification, and I'm going to address that in three stages. The positional part of it, the progressive or the continuous part of it, and lastly, the perfect part of our sanctification. A man called uh, Rodney Stark, he wrote a book called uh, The Rise of Christianity. How many of us have read that book? by Rodney Stark. He wrote about how Christianity became the dominant religion in the first century. And the good thing about uh, that book is that it was written by a man who was not a Christian. So Rodney Stark is a professor of sociology and history, and all he did was to go into history, just basic history, to ask the question, why did this religion that started with Peasants and poor people became the dominant religion as the centuries rolled by. And I love that book because if it was written by a Christian, people would have come up with the argument that, oh, he was just making a case for Christianity. In fact, he was not just a non-Christian, he was an atheist. He was actually, he didn't believe in God. So he came out with two conclusions after studying the history of the early church and how it spread. And he came out with two conclusions, two factors that helped Christianity to grow and to spread. First, to shock you by an atheist, he said that this bunch of Christians knew their doctrines very well. They knew what they believed very well. 
but he used the word doctrines. In our generation today, if we use the word doctrine, people will say, oh, no, 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 don't use that word. We don't even know it. A non-Christian knew he very well that that was the secret of the early church. Secondly, in an age where there was no Twitter, uh, Facebook, <laughs> WhatsApp, everything, he said they used their social networks. One person at a time, one family at a time, one friend at a time, that was how he spread. It has never changed. We are making it look more complex, but it's so simple. It has never changed. We need to know our doctrines very well, and we need to keep spreading through our social networks. And by that, I'm not necessarily talking about social media because some of us are very close on the media but very far away physically. I'm talking about a genuine intimacy through which we invite people into our space and live together and love together and teach together. One friend at a time, one colleague at a time, one family at a time spreading. And I guess I listened to my first point this morning on why we won't study doctrine at all. I know you must have addressed this at the beginning of this series, but some people do listen to some one-off kind of messages. So I thought I would do a reflection for about a minute or two on this. Why do we study doctrines? For the same reason that Rodney Stark gave, which is very biblical, every Christian must get to a point where we are clear about what we believe. In a world full of all kinds of philosophies for living, the things we used to reject many years ago as Christians, we began to accommodate them. Now we even celebrate them. Because we've lost touch with our reality of truth. In an age of relativism, you have your truth, I have my truth. You speak yours, I speak mine. <laughs> we've lost the sense of absolute in God's word. And yet, as we read God's word, it's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. How we apply them may change from context to context, but the word of God itself remains the same. Our understanding may grow over the years, but the foundation of that truth doesn't change. And so, we must understand the importance of doctrines. That it's not just a word we use. After a while, a believer understands that there are certain principles or certain things that come up repeatedly in God's word. In the same way. Different context, but the same truth. And then as God's people will form an understanding around that truth. Pivotal to our work with God. I believe in my own opinion that the reason why Christianity seems to be fading away in the West, why we're in so much crisis today, is because the church has lost hold 
of sound Bible doctrines. And so when you meet some Christians, you, you don't even know what define their lives. <laughs> we work in places where we can't even speak to our colleagues <laughs> about anything again. But I'm saying we need to get back to it. <laughs> we didn't need a non-Christian to remind us of that truth. But unfortunately, Rodney Stark has done that for, for our generation. We need to get back into it. Let me go straight to a bit of description of this world called sanctification. It's a word we, we, I guess we, we should be familiar with, but if we're not, I'm going to unpack that this morning. Is this idea of coming to God at the new birth being set apart for God's glory, for God's use? But a sense in which God continually works in our lives, slowly, surely, molding, shaping us for his own glory, for his own service. And that good word for it would be holiness. How many of us have ever, after you got saved, you really messed up? <laughs> messed up, seriously. <laughs> let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Oh, all our hands. Everybody. I have, two, I have all my two hands up here. <laughs> That also. <laughs> the how many of you have gone to God and you said, God, I will never, never do it again. <laughs> and two weeks later, what did you do? The same thing. <laughs> All nonsense. You know why? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't save us because we gave him a promise that we would do well. <laughs> you see, he, he didn't save us because we told him, God, if you save me, I will be a very good guy. No, 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 he didn't do that. We made that up in our own thinking with God. Absolute nonsense. I went to M&S some couple of years back. I bought a pair of trousers there. And for some reasons, I didn't like the trousers. And uh, I went back to return these trousers. Instead of this lady refunding my money to me, she took off money from my card again. So I went back to say, look, I came to return these this trousers. You've taken money off me. And I thought that was simple enough. <laughs> then she began to pass me from one till to the other. And now I knew that my color of skin was playing some roles in that situation. I think there was some suspicion going on there <laughs> that this guy has come with some fraud or whatever. But I thought, I <laughs> so I was doing my best to be a Christian, you know, a preacher, a Christian in that space. <laughs> but this thing kept on going, and it was like I was in the wrong. Then I changed to my African voice right there. And the same people who, who, thought they, who thought they did not understand me began to cooperate with me. And when I used my African voice in the public space, it's not smiling. I was like, do you, do, do you not know? <laughs> and after, after I, said, I, said, I said, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for this again. <laughs> because I did promise God I'll be patient, you know. <laughs> 
I promised him I'll be patient. <laughs> I will endure, but I lost it. So, we didn't come to faith. We didn't, prom- we didn't come into this new life on our terms, promising God that, oh, we'll be the best for you. It doesn't work that way. He saved us knowing exactly who we are and knowing fully where that we'll be on a journey with him, knowing fully where that he'll continue to work in our lives. And until the job is finished, he knows exactly what he's doing with us. And that's the beauty of the Christian faith. So the idea of sanctification is knowing that we are set apart on a journey, but in that journey, it's actually a long one, and God, by spirit, works in us. He molds us. He changes us. So you can look at your life in the last three years and say, well, I've not really gone too far, but it's a lot better than it was (laughs) three years ago. You can look at your life in the next... 10 years and say, God, I'm grateful to you because I knew where you picked me from. I'm still far from perfection, but you are doing something through me. And you know what I love God for? He uses ordinary people who have nothing to offer in any way. I come from Nigeria, as you can hear from my accent. Some of the best preachers in my country are people, when I listen to, when I listen to them, I'm wondering, God, why are you using this kind of people? <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Then God says to me, that's the grace I'm talking about. I don't you get the point. <laughs> that's the grace I'm talking about. When I used to pastor a church, every year I would announce to people in church, I said, please, help us look for people who know that they are very dangerous sinners, people who have given up on life, I really was pleading, please bring them to church because that's exactly what the story of grace is all about. And I've seen people who came to church, who came to faith. And before my eyes as a pastor, I could look at when they came and where they are, and I could say, God, you must be an awesome God. So right now, I work in a place where I, I employ people, <laughs> missionaries, and, uh, and I wonder, God, do I really want people who can really prepare well for interview or people who can really serve God in the city? And that was why I asked for that prayer point. <laughs> Am I looking for people who are very articulate in the interview or people who really can say, God, use me, use me for your glory. I want to serve you. That's what it's all about, sanctification. God working in us, in our daily lives, in our conduct, in our character. There is no need for you to be disappointed in yourself in where you are today. Instead, trust in the living God to continue to mold you and work in your life. There is no need to compare yourself with, even with another person. It's not necessary. The same God is at work in us day by day. I love the difference that uh, when Grudem in his book on systematic theology, he, he drew a difference between justification and sanctification. If you got a copy 
of systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. It's a good one to read. It's a very light read. It's not heavy stuff. <laughs> get, a, get, a, get some coffee, you know. I used to have a friend, just ordinary guy in our church, who just bought a coffee, and every week he would read a chapter of Grudem. That's it. <laughs> Amen. And he says that the difference between justification and sanctification are outlined this way. One is a legal, justification is a legal declaration of God over your life when you come to faith in Christ and then gives you that imputed righteousness by faith alone in Christ alone. But he says that sanctification is an internal work. There is the gift of righteousness given to us. There is a declaration of God in our lives. But there's also an internal working of God. And let me say this. This is not just in you as individuals. It's in us as his people. He's molding us all together as a corporate people and also as individuals. That's why I tell people, you know, when I used to be an active uh, pastor, people would come to me and say, that sister has sinned. I said, so what? <laughs> why is that, why, how, does that, how does that bother you? <laughs> That's who we are in the first place, sinners who are saved by the grace of God. What can we do to help? It's not about... <laughs> because God is working amongst us together. That's my point. <laughs> What we need to do is to pick her up, love her, encourage her, say, look, let's keep working together. Because God is at work in our lives. Justification is once and for all. If you have come to faith in Christ, you, couldn't be, you cannot be more justified than you are this morning. You can't increase, it can't grow, it doesn't grow. I've seen many Christians who have who are genuinely saved but have big problems with assurance of salvation. And everywhere I've been to in the last few years of my ministry, I tend to help Christians understand this truth that once you are saved in Christ, that is it. You can't undo it. You can't grow in it. That is it. So you should spend the rest of your life growing and maturing, not trying to Get you know saved again and again and again and again. But sanctification is continuous. God at work is doing it gradually in our lives. Justification is the work of God entirely. He declares us righteous, gives us his righteousness. But when it comes to sanctification, there is a sense in which God and us, we work together to make it happen. And I will talk about that very briefly before I close today. Justification is perfect. There's nothing, it's just there. Sanctification is not. It's not. It's progressive. At least, the last two of it are actually progressive. When it comes to justification, it's the same for all Christians. But sanctification, there are some people in their work with God who make more progress than others. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, 
I, I, if you, if you, my son used to play football when we were in Bristol. But I was on a job where I was traveling so much that I couldn't take him to the fields to play for many months. And there was a time his coach called me and said, look, that Mekus has lost a bit of skills. And that his friends that they began together at the beginning of the year were actually playing even more than, more than his standard because he wasn't available to train constantly. And so in, in, in talking about sanctification, it's not just to say this idea of, oh, let go and let God, and that's it. No, we need to be available as well for God to work through us. And I will talk about that in a while. So quickly, I'll talk about the three types of sanctification this morning. And the first one is, is the positional sanctification, the idea that we're set apart by God. And this happens instantly at the point of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Set apart. He doesn't just justify us, but he said, you know what? You are my people right now, and I'm embarking on a journey with you. My wife has a cup in our house, a teacup, a sanctified teacup. <laughs> you dare not touch, even me, I don't have the authority to touch that teacup. <laughs> she has set it apart for herself. And the reason for that is because she doesn't do teas and coffees. She does only hot beverage and other things. And she hates to see the stain of tea and coffee in that <laughs> cup. So that teacup is sanctified for her. Don't try it. Don't even do it. I thought that as a husband, I would use the, the idea of love to use it. She told me, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't try it. Don't even do it. That's how God uses this word for us. He sets us apart for himself, for his glory, and for his mission. We are his people set apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, just to confirm what I was saying earlier, that this is not an exchange. God did not set us apart because we promised him something. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 with me. Paul writing to this church in Corinth. Many theologians think that the church in Corinth up to today remains the worst church in human history. Just immorality going on in the church. They abused the communion table. They used to get drunk <laughs> during the communion table. A man in that church was sleeping with his father's wife. They went to the law court every time on everything. It's a church you will look at today and say, you know what? I don't want to be part of this church family. But when Paul, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, wrote to them, look at what he calls them. He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, even in that state, still fully sanctified, in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people. 
Would you think about, would you say that to anybody today? If you knew a Christian in this kind of state I've described, would you go, are you going to tell that kind of church that, oh, you guys are fully sanctified by God, holy people? That's exactly who we are. Sinners saved by God's grace, sanctified, set apart. The beauty of God's grace is this, that we had nothing to offer to him at all. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Look at all of us in this room today. If God does an extra of our lives <laughs> on the screen, I'm sure some of us will not, show, will not come, won't come back again next Sunday. <laughs> Including myself. <laughs> those filthy thoughts, those kind of very. But God says that's who we are. It's a call of grace. And that's how we know He's a great God that He can pick people like us from the lowest part of the earth. People like us who are very messy, very kind of useless, really. And called us into a great destiny. And says, rely on me. Trust in me. I will get you there. I will take you there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Paul still writing to the same church. And he says, and that is what some of you were. Actually, they were still like that. As a time he was right, they were still like that. They haven't changed. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul knew exactly their condition, but he wanted to reassure them of one glorious truth that there was a sense in which, in position, in their, in their position in Christ, they have been set apart as God's people. I was going to, a lady came to me when I was a pastor and said, look, Tyre, I want to get married. I want to marry very quickly. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine. I got a problem with that. Who is the man? <laughs> and I, I got talking with her and all this stuff, you know. So I said, well, all I want to know about this guy is a simple thing. Is he a Christian? That's all. Oh, she said he's not, he's Catholic. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody about Catholic. Is he a Christian or not? Oh, he's, I, said, I don't want to know exactly how to say, is he a Christian or not? Now, she was concerned about the guy's attitude or lifestyle. But I was more concerned about the guy's position in Christ. I know that position will fix the lifestyle very soon. You get the point I'm saying this morning. <laughs> and I began to talk her through all these subjects. I look, I said to her, I'm, very, I said to her, I'm sure that even this young man is speaking to his pastor right now about you. <laughs> and the pastor is asking the same question. <laughs> Who is she? When he's when fully described you. <laughs> Maybe the pastor will say, no, 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 don't, you've gone too far today. You've gone too far? I'm trying this point to get us on a trajectory to understand that God is not shocked by our sins and stupidity and messiness. 
He called us in that state. I get my point. And that's the only time we can truly rely on God's grace to grow. That's the time we, re- we truly know that well, I was called like this. I was set this way. Therefore, I can rely on him who saved me to run the race. Positional sanctification. No matter who you are this morning, no matter your state, practically, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are fully sanctified and set apart for his glory. Then the second step of it, progressive stage of it. So we set with the issue of the foundation. That's set it for us. That's the sense in which daily the Spirit of God and through the power of God's word begins to mold and shape and help us to live as the people we truly are called to be. So Christianity is not so much of doing, doing many things. It's more of just letting to be who you are called to be. When the being is in place, the doing will be all right. And we all encounter many sins every day of our lives. Let me say this, my dear friends. You know how I know Christians who are just a bunch of hypocrites? I've been a pastor for many years, so the word hypocrisy is not new to me. That's who we are, really. People who have an area of strength, and you know, you know some Christians are obviously very strong in that area. And when they come to the public space, they are trying to bully everybody who is weak in that area. <laughs> I'm making everybody look stupid. You know, I say, oh, you guys don't know I'm like this. <laughs> what they fail to understand is that, yes, they're strong in that area, but there are other areas where they're weak and other, other believers are strong. So instead of trying to judge and pull ourselves down, we need to allow our strength and weaknesses to come together. Under the spirit of God and God's word, he will mold us, use us for his glory. So John writing in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus praying for his people. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. The most powerful tool for this progressive sanctification is the word of God. I really pretty Christians who don't take the Bible seriously. When I came to live in the West, I was surprised at how pastors were boasting that they were doing 10-minute sermon, 8-minute sermon, 7-minute sermon. I was weeping for them. I was weeping. They were boasting. I was, I was weeping for them. Because it's like, as you can see my chest, I used to go to the gym a lot. <laughs> I stopped because my wife, my wife didn't like that because people were looking at, people were admiring me too much. So <laughs> I, I kind of. <laughs> when you get to the gym and you wear nice trainers and put all this stuff in your ears and you're wasting your time, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. 
you got to do what you are there to do. That's, that's the point. I've seen ladies in particular at the gym who spend hours just wasting their time. Wear dress, very, very cool, very cool, very cool, but not really, they're not training. They're not training hard. And I pity their, their boyfriends or their husband who's paying, who's paying for all of, this, all of these things, really. God's word is the fundamental tool to grow and become like Christ. As we hear it on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, in our own personal study, and corporately, God uses that to mold, to shape us. When Paul was speaking to the church in Rome, a church that was confused over some issues, you know, Jews and Gentiles, and Paul needed, needed the unity to, to be in place before he could expand mission to the west of Europe. In writing Romans, letter, letter to the Romans, in chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, he didn't start with their problems. He didn't start until chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He didn't even mention their problems. He laid down the fundamentals of the gospel. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Then he began to tease what that looks like, chapter 2, 3, 4, justification, everything. Then at the end, he began to say to them, you know, in the light of what I've taught you, apply this way, live like this. If we don't avail ourselves to the truth of God's word, even though we are fully secured in Christ, even though we are fully sanctified in our position with him, <coughs> we could make a shipwreck of our faith. Amen. And I've seen many Christians who started very well, but who have made a shipwreck of their faith. They did not abide in the word of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19 Paul writing, Paul writing to this church tells them what they need to do. He says, I'm using as an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now, you yourself now, don't pray about it, do it. Now offer yourselves as slaves to what? Righteousness. Leading to what? Holiness. Now I hear sometimes people say, oh, it doesn't matter if you don't read the Bible in the morning. Who says that? Maybe the morning is not the best time for you, but the idea of, it doesn't matter if you read the Bible every day. It really matters. <laughs> if, more, if the morning time is not good for you, do afternoon, do evening, do midday. But we need to get into God's word. Amen. And we need to make ourselves available also for God to use us. In God's matchless grace, he has this provision that by his spirit he will work in us. And invites us into that journey with him. Apostle Paul was speaking, he said, look, I labor more than these other apostles. I labor so hard. They say, but it's not me, but the grace of God at work in me. So, labor doesn't, it's not opposed to grace. <laughs> the fact that you are, you are intensely very hardworking in your spiritual life 
doesn't mean you don't understand grace. Actually, grace produces that kind of labor. Once we begin to understand grace, that's the, that's, that's the reservoir of strength for us to labor in God's things. And the reason why you know that it's grace is because you don't boast about it. You don't boast. You don't, you don't say, ah, look at me. I'm doing 10 chapters a day. It doesn't work that way. You say, praise God. Last year, I couldn't read two verses, but now I can do a chapter. All because of his grace. So you don't go to church and say, ah, look at you. You are still doing two, three verses. Since last week. It doesn't work that way. That's the grace of God. But we must do it. You know, when I came to the UK, I have seen many things. I've been in a prayer meeting as people be praying, please pray for me to spend time with my family. I said, I won't pray for you. Go and spend time with the family. <laughs> Leave this place. Go home and spend time with the family. Because we, come, we, we have this fun understanding that God is doing everything for us. I said, go home now. Go to your family. I'm not going to pray. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm an African person. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> For me and family life, every day is uh, it's, it's fun for us. That's the way it is. Because uh, we come from a, a background that respects community. So even now people come to my house, I don't feel, oh, you are bothering me. I don't feel, don't enter that room. No, I just say, just be yourself. Just be yourself. It's home for you, everybody. Why I know some people struggle? Because probably it's not their context, really. But we must ensure that we do what we need to do in this journey. God will work through us, but we need to be available for him to use us. Paul writing in Romans chapter 12, look at what he says here. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not say command and imperative. Conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what we call an imperative. It's a command. As we engage in God's work daily, God uses that word by spirit to transform us. I love the prayer that Paul prayed earlier about people who come to church who have the means to give but who don't give. He said, please, rebuke us. Help us understand that. So as we hear God's word, we begin to see that God also has plans for our resources and our money. And then we come back again and say, well, last year I wasn't a generous giver, but now I see God is shaping me. I can put my money here. I used to have a colleague of mine in the mission. I worked with her for probably over four years. She never gave one pound to the mission. And I never told her one word in the office at work. I never said anything about her money. <laughs> but every time I kept on giving her the reason why she needs to understand that. You know, we have this funny stuff about my life belongs to God, but my money, my money belongs to me. <laughs> it doesn't exist anyway. 
our life and our times and our money, everything, they belong to him. If you drop there today, I drop there today, what happens to our money? The psalmist says that those who don't even know how we got the money, they will squander it. And so it's gross foolishness to think, I've got money, this is my money, but my life belongs to God. How is that possible? God owns everything. My life, my money, my shoe, my car, everything, he owns it. I used to tell my friends that if you want to collect tithes, if there's need to even share to divide our money, God should actually take 90% and give us 10 to go home with. That also, he owns everything. <laughs> so when we give to God, it's not like we're buying, it's not bribery. We're just saying thank you because everything I own, you give to me. That's the logic of it. So Father, I'm thankful that I can be part of your work. The cat on a thousand hits, they belong to him. He can stamp his finger and bring 10 million pounds here this morning. I used to have a, 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 a friend of our ministry in the States, in America, for 30 years. Two American Christians used to give him $2 million each. In January of every year, he has $4 million, $4 million US dollars for his ministry. What was he doing? He was writing books and sending to people all over the world at no cost, free. God touched, touched two people. And so this idea that we are separating our life from our resources is absolute nonsense. He owns everything. 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 We should be saying, God, um, we are grateful that you give us the privilege, the wretch like me, to be part of your mission. This, this is it, Lord. In our journey of sanctification, in molding us, we need to be available for God's word, we are available to the Spirit of God, and God will use us. Again, let me say this that uh, the beauty of the Christian way of life, the beauty of God's family is that God brings all of us from different, different contexts. Different kinds of dangerous things we are brought into God's family. But we like to behave as though we don't have those problems. And when we ask ourselves, how can I be praying for you? We have lost the act of being sincere. Say, you know what? I've got this problem. Pray for me. We talk about praying for my brother out there, you know, on the field or something. Because we've lost that sense of living together and loving together and not letting our sins embarrass ourselves. I used to have a lady friend when I was in uni. I mean, one of, she was literally a prostitute in the, in the uni. She left union without hope, without God in this world. I ran into her a couple of years after we left school. She was the wife of a pastor. <laughs> and when she began to speak to me the word of God, I was, I, I, I was looking at her. She said, Tayo, I know, I know what you're thinking. I said, I, you, you know what I'm thinking too. <laughs> I went back home that day. I said, God, indeed, you are an awesome God. You are a God of grace. You are a God of grace. All my friends that we were involved in 
ministered together in the university who were the, the big guys on the stage. Some of them, after many years, their marriages collapsed. Some of them even have stopped preaching. They've stopped, they stopped doing even anything called ministry. So the race is not for the swift, rather the battle for the strong. It's of God that shows mercy. As God's people, I'm saying our personal sins should not embarrass us. We shouldn't be embarrassed by that. We should hold one another and say, look, can we join it together? Can we overcome this together? Lastly, the perfect realm of sanctification. Someday, either by the return of our Savior Jesus Christ or by physical death, we will get face to face to be with the Lord. Great hope. Great hope. I've seen many believers who really, really, you know, hear the scriptures, but when we're confronted with, the de- with death, we don't really see it again. The truth is this, either by return of our Savior or by death, someday we'll become face-to-face with our Savior. And the Bible says in 1 John 3 verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet even been made known. <laughs> but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he's pure. No matter how messy it is with us today as God's people, there is a hope we are longing for that someday every kind of sin, every kind of weakness, every kind of danger, every kind of whatever will be done with. And finally, we arrive before our Savior. We see him as he is, and we truly become who we ought to be as well. In that sense, faith will give way to sight. Now we walk by faith, not by sight. A time is coming that faith will give way to sight. (laughs) And then we shall be truly... We shall see him for who he is. He will see us exactly for who we are. No death, no sorrow, no temptations anymore. And the Bible says, those of us who know this truth should receive hope from that. And so while God is at work in us, amongst us, let's learn to encourage one another, knowing that this is not the end of the race. The end is still in view. Now, practically, before I close this morning, what does that mean for us? Practically, before I close this morning. How do we grow practically in sanctification? I'm going to introduce us quickly in about less than five, seven minutes to two visual aids on the screen. I'm going to talk about how to live in the security zone, our union with Christ, how to operate in the power zone, in fellowship with the Spirit and the Word, and zone three, the death zone, how to avoid that. Can we all see this? Can we all see this on the screen? Every person comes to God's plan by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to come. There's no other way to come. You can't be a Christian from childhood. It's not possible. It's, it's, no, no, no. You are, it's by faith in Christ. <laughs> you, 
you can't give your way into, into the kingdom. There's nothing like that, you know. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way, that's the only door into God's family. And then through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are introduced to the uh, top circle there, which I call eternal relationship with God. Can we see that? Inside that top sphere, that top circle, immediately we put our faith in Christ, we are introduced to that eternal relationship with God. It's called, you know, with Christ forever and forever. In that zone, there's nothing you can do. I have an 11-year-old son. My son, if you know the meaning of chukwe maker in our place, they could, they could be very stubborn. And my son has that heady way of life. <laughs> there are times I've, he's, he's done things that I really, 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 really want, want to really, really, really do what we do to our kids in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Now, but I scolded him. I denied him of things that he asked me for. That's fine. But in that state, is this still my son or not? Still my son? Even if I succeed in chasing him out of the house and say, okay, leave my house today, is this still my son or not? That's part of the relationship forever. Now, Every child of God is in that top circle. But that doesn't guarantee success in our sanctification with God. The lower circle is the, rep- is the place where we have our real problems, which is what I call temporal fellowship. This idea of constantly living in the sphere where the Holy Spirit can lead and guide us every day. So we have scriptures of John 4 talking about those that worship God shall worship him in spirit and in truth. We have the combination of God's spirit and God's word guiding us into fellowship. Now, what's the difference between fellowship and that top circle about relationship? A fellowship could be broken. There are times when you're married, you offend your wife, you offend your husband. Usually you call yourself, you call each other during break time, lunch hour. But because of that problem, what do you do? You, you don't call for many days during lunch hours. And also, <laughs> are you still married or not? <laughs> what is broken at that point in time? Fellowship. Fellowship. Amen. I know Christian husbands and wives who don't speak for, it's bad, but they don't speak for a couple of days. Are they still married? Are they still in legal marriage? Are they in fellowship with each other? No. But someday somebody says, Sweetheart, I'm sorry for what I said yesterday. And the sweetheart who had been very, very angry and, you know, that kind of stuff begins to smile. And then the fellowship is restored. Is that also? (laughs) Nothing ever happens to the relationship in the first place. (laughs) What was broken was the fellowship. In our spiritual life, the Bible talks about how we do that. We, We leave that bottom circle and go into that distorted circle, which I call the zone of carnality and sin, Bible calls walking in darkness. And 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, 
that God is just enough to forgive us and to cleanse us. So we have no problem with the top circle. Our problem is with this bottom circle. Keeping fellowship with God. Exit. We all leave this fellowship zone from time to time. Anger, bitterness, revenge motivation, all sorts of stuff going on in our hearts, in our lives. Immorality. And then we continue for many weeks and many days in that zone of distorted circle. In that zone, the Holy Spirit, even though he wants to guide us, he cannot. He can lead us. And when we confess our sins, he brings us back. That's what I'm saying today. The top circle is the security zone if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. But the realm of power for us is a lower one, which means actively giving ourselves to the ministry of the word and the spirit of God to use us and to mold us. The real power for Christian sanctification is in that temporal fellowship. The Bible talks about how that we can grieve the spirit or we can do what? Quench the spirit. The Holy Spirit does not stop indwelling us. He is ever, ever, if you are in Christ, he indwells you. But is he in control of your life every day? Yes, I may be no. And when he's not in charge, there's no spiritual power to execute those plans. But when we say, God, we have sinned, we have messed up, he restores us back to fellowship. And then we start our journey again, we start to run the race. The difference between believers who are progressing sanctification and those who are not is in this bottom circle. It's not in our security zone. Everyone of us, we are fully secured. Even if you are wallowing in sin 24-7, you are fully secured in Christ. But you make a big shipwreck of your faith because you exit a place where spiritual power is available for you to live the Christian way of life. Friends, stay more time in fellowship with God Stay more time in the Word, stay more time in the power of the Spirit, and you see that He starts working in your life, in my life, daily, day by day. We will never get to a point of perfection, but we can mature, we can grow. People can look at us and say, Wow, I used to know this man like this. Look at him today. And you can say, You know what? I have not yet there, but I thank God because He started working in me. Have I made some sense this morning? <laughs> Sanctification is progressive. It comes daily by the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word. But the personal sins we commit can show circle that. It doesn't show circle the indwelling of the Spirit, but it shows circle the active control of the Spirit over our souls. So we have a provision in God's Word, 1 John 1 9. If we confess those sins, is just and faithful to forgive us and to restore us. But even at that point, our security was never tampered with. Our union with Christ was never tampered with. The indwelling of the Spirit was never tampered with, but was tampered with, with fellowship with God, the Spirit. Our security is permanent. Our fellowship is always temporary, depending on how we are living our lives daily. I pray that God will help us to be people who know we're on a journey, a people who love well, a people who encourage one another. If you will, I say, God, please continue to use us for glory, mold us for glory. Here we are, Jesus. Let me pray.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.